Welcome to another episode of the Mind Virus Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bobby Flood, and I'm here with... Jordan Bruno. Hey, Bobby. Nice to see you today. Nice to see you again. Uh, it's been oh, a week or so since our, our we recorded our first episode, and it seems like you remarked earlier that it seems like every day more and more things are happening. More big news, more crazy events, more anti-science, anti-liberty anti-people anti-freedom it's uh it's, yeah things it's have gone from things have gone from bad to worse right <laughs> or they keep going from bad to worse in the news right now is this uh covid variation coming out of england so london and parts of england are going back into severe lockdown right the united the, the united states government passed their trillion dollar covid relief fund with about 10% of that money actually going to American people for and, COVID relief. And did that actually pass? Did they pass it or it's, is it I, on its I, way? I, it's a foregone conclusion. I think all it lacks at recording, which today's Tuesday, December 22nd. I, I think all it lacks is Trump's signature. Okay. And how many pages of material did we not read before we passed it's this? It's more than 5,000 pages. 5,000 pages. Wow. And they had... The Congress had about five hours to read that. That's a thousand pages an hour. Which no one can do. Unless you're a congressman. <laughs> I, that leaves me speechless, Bobby. I mean, like... Some of, the, some of the items, there's a lot of foreign aid. Lots of foreign aid, which is a way that a congressman can launder money to himself. Or, or, or Joe Biden can launder money through Ukraine. I think I saw somebody ask how much of that 450 some odd million dollars went to quote the big man. Right. Right. Which if you're not aware, that was code for Joe Biden from the Hunter laptop file disclosures that came out. The Hunter Biden laptop. Right. And when I edit this, I'm going to have to bleep out Hunter Biden laptop because I still don't think we can say that. Yeah. If we say that, we get blacklisted from all of the possible outlets where we could publish this podcast, right? Joe Biden uh, did get the vaccine on TV. Is he still alive? As far as we know. Yeah. Was it an actual vaccine? Was it a placebo? Who knows, right? Right. And that's one thing. Okay. This is a good segue into kind of a bigger topic. But how do we know anything? How do we know that any of this is real? We don't know right. that any of the people on TV, the nurses, the first responders, even the people that are fainting, like that nurse did on live television, and that video is being scrubbed. We don't know that any of them are actually getting the same vaccine that we're supposed to uh, get. We don't know that any of them aren't just getting saline shots. There is, there's video of people getting shots where the syringe is the wrong kind of syringe. And there's no needle. One one uh, hospital actually walked it back. Said, "Oh yeah, it was it was fake." Right. So that's like astounding. I, did, I hadn't heard they actually walked it back and said they were staging it. But this 
it's a good time, I guess, to tell the listeners, if you haven't already guessed, today our topic will be what is real, and we're going to be talking about media in general and the type of deceptions we're seeing and get into some of the details of how they've done it, what the, how they do it, what their maybe their goals and motives are. And we'll just see where that topic leads us. For your information, we don't really plan out exactly what we're what we're going to talk about. We're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, which is interesting. I don't have a pilot's license or anything like that, so <laughs> I don't either, thankfully. Yeah. Okay, I, I looked it up. It's a, a hospital in Texas, and they they have a very corporate, very scrubby, clean statement about it, right? After yeah. there's a video, okay? There's a video of this frontline worker receiving the vaccine. People on social media said, there's no needle in that. That looks really suspect. And so they're, they're, uh, their statement <laughs> says that the, the worker did not get the full vaccine. And so they administered a second, a second time. And uh, they got the fake first part. They said after numerous, after, after numerous reports emerged on social media, claiming one of the five nurses receiving a vaccination on Tuesday did not receive a full dose of vaccine. We want to remove any doubt raised that he was not fully vaccinated and further strengthen confidence in the vaccination process. Uh, my confidence has been restored. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, kind of continuing the theme, one of the themes we brought up in our first podcast, the idea is that this coronavirus issue, the, the year 2020 here has really been an unmasking of the crazy deceptions going on, like literally flim, flimsy, deceptive reporting not just mistakes, but like flat out agenda driven programming that we're getting, not just on the news networks or the television shows, but everywhere from mm -hmm. us, from this mainstream force. And meanwhile, you know, the markets are back at near high levels. You know, you've got the Dow, the S and P and the NASDAQ are all the Dow recently, uh, crossed, uh, the 30,000, threshold for the first time ever in its history. Right. It's all time high. Right. So, so that's interesting because the economy is in the worst shape it's ever been in. The dollar is in massive trouble and the, and where's the money coming from? That's the big question, right? The money is essentially being printed by the federal reserve through a complicated, you know, it doesn't technically get printed. It gets issued into the economy via the issuance of bonds and government borrowing and stuff like, and, and then direct action by the, the fed that that the Fed doesn't necessarily print it, but it will buy securities and bonds in the open market to prop up sectors of the economy. And that's fake. That's that's fake money. That's not real people and real money. And so you have to ask yourself, well, so that's not real either, right? Right. What 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 is real? What what am I getting that's real? Those the, that whole Texas hospital episode could have been produced in a in a movie studio. We don't know. How do we know? Who knows? Who was involved in that? How do we know what's in these syringes? By the way, it's University Medical Center of El Paso. If you want to, we'll, we'll to have look to put up these links up yourself. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll put some links up on our on the website. And again, the website is mindvirus.show for those mm -hmm. of you that are interested in in the additional material. 
I remember though having a friend several years ago who went back east and went to New York and was all excited about seeing the big city and stuff. And one of the remarks that he had when he came back was about the news. He said that it was it was fall, but the leaves hadn't yet changed in New York. And so when they were preparing one of those morning shows, that they they'll do those down near Times Square, mm-hmm. somewhere in somewhere in New York. I don't, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the layout of where all of those movie studios are, but you know, if you've seen them, they'll have these windows so people will come up behind them and right and put messages up behind them. One of our local channels has that, and yeah, it, it's that's uh, all fake. It's a great way for people in the background to troll the news. Yeah, some people get through, but I think they've they've gotten to the point where now they're like they, they've got security guards in the perimeter right. that you can't see that won't let you. I, I did see one recently I, that made me laugh. Somebody our, will sneak our, in a our message. local news. A guy and that was in the background in the, with a cardboard sign that said, "Where is the flu?" <laughs> <laughs> and I thought yeah. that was pretty clever because that's a good question. Well, well, just to kind of finish the thought here, this guy told me he said, you know, they had because the leaves hadn't changed, but they wanted to talk about fall, mm-hmm. they brought in all kinds of fake trees and foliage to show that it was fall when right. it really wasn't fall. Mm-hmm. And then they did the whole rigmarole, hullabaloo of their show, which was mostly fake. And of course, it was all along the lines of their talking points with their people and their crowd. And they try to give you this impression that this is like stuff real people are concerned about. It's not. And then let's... Let, let's make sure we don't forget the fact that, you know, all those comments you see on news stories or Reddit accounts or Facebook accounts or Twitter accounts, how do you know those are real people? Mm-hmm. I would I would estimate that half of the internet is fake. Just, I, I think that's a fair assessment. And, and I come from a search engine optimization, search marketing, mm-hmm. web web development background. So it's like, yeah, I think probably over half is fake. And the question is how much of that has been created by dark government agencies or uh, contractors, military contractors, or other people who have nefarious intentions like foundations, you know, Robert, Robert Barron foundations or Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. How, How much of this is AstroTurf intended to influence the public mind because we're so susceptible to peer pressure? Well, when it comes to the mainstream news, it's all AstroTurf. It's 100% AstroTurf. That doesn't mean that the events that they cover or things are all fake events, but their opinion on them, their spin about these things, the way that they, you'll, you'll notice that they may report an event. They may say this thing happened, but they very quickly move into what it means, why it happened. It may, may not surprise the listeners of this podcast, but it does surprise many people to find out that almost all of modern media is owned by five or six different companies. Yeah. And I'm looking for that graphic right here. You have uh, like Time Warner, uh, Com- uh, Comcast. Fox. Fox. Disney. Disney owns more than you realize. And Sony Viacom. Sony right? Viacom. Like I think those are the five. I, if you just look for, like I went to DuckDuckGo and Googled, I DuckDuckGoed who owns the news media. And it says, you know, these 15 billionaires own America's news media corporations. So who are, who are, do they list names? Well, this is Forbes. So this is scrubbed information, but even Forbes is willing to put it out. You've got people like Peter Thiel, uh, Gawker, 
Rupert Murdoch, Mike Bloomberg, uh, Comcast CEO Brian Roberts, Liberty Media Chairman John Malone. So they they've listed several of them. So it might be a fun uh, a fun episode to to uh, look up these to do a little deep dive on some of these people and figure out how many of them are not on the Council of Foreign Relations because they're probably. And I say that deliberately. How many are not? Because I think they probably all are yeah. members of the CFR. How many of them participate in the World Economic Forum? How many of them participate in the Bilderberg Group? Right. All of them. And so the next question is, how many of them own your senator or congressman? Right. Right. And let's not, let's not beat around the bush here. Fascism is not just loosely, but pretty tightly defined as the marriage of the corporation and the state, mm-hmm. which is just another term for an oligarchy. Right. Communism, by definition, is not that, but the way it's practiced is, in essence, an oligarchy where ownership is just, uh, ownership is, uh, the ownership of the state, of, of the state-owned industries it's technically the people that own it, but what they can do, but it's controlled by the oligarchy. What it's a, it's a clever little distinction because you see that again, so much, we're seeing so much of this play out with COVID. So right now, right now, uh, the state can say, we're not requiring, we're not requiring businesses to, uh, mask their employees. They are, they're doing it through these mandates and health department fines. They can say, and right now also there's a talking point. Well, that's how they're controlling the small people because the big right, companies right. are all, the ones that are owned by these same conglomerates or by these same, this same oligarchy, they're, since they're setting the policy, they tell the state to force the small businesses into it while they voluntarily do it. Who was one of the first companies to want to mask everybody up in Utah? Costco. Right. And they've, they've been very... Uh, adamant about their that policy. Yeah, I haven't I haven't gone into Costco in months. I, that's not really related to COVID. I just don't like going to Costco. But <laughs> what 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 this does, what this this relationship does, is it gives the government a, a free pass. They can say no, 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 no. We're not forcing this. You see this with the vaccine. We're not going to mandate the vaccine, but the company you work for can. Yeah, and should and should they say yeah. And, and the people believe it because this democracy that we live in has voted on it. And America has decided. America has somehow decided. We've, we've definitely spent a lot of time and effort, or the, these corporations have spent a lot of time and effort in the last hundred years to try and convince Americans that a republic, a republic based in natural law and good principles like life, liberty, and property, the protection of a person's individual rights... That that's not what we have. We have more what we'd call democracy, which literally in the Greek means mob rule, ruled by the mob. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not it's not a good thing in in Greek. Oligarchy means ruled by a few. Aristocracy ruled by the best and the brightest. We have an aristocracy, but it's not a rule by the best and the brightest. It's ruled by people who have the most money. Right. And so they form an aristocracy or an oligarchy, and they tell us that we need mob rule because they can control the mob. 
And that's the focus of today's discussion is how do they control the mob? Well, they do it through news media, through which, which is a form of building consensus. And they do it through movies and uh, other social media and educational system. The educational system factors heavily into this. The, the thing I wanted to point out before we move on is that what we have is a modern religion here. The religions of the world have, it used to be, and you know, I think this evolved out of a statement that Jefferson made about a separation of church and state. Because Jefferson made that statement in the 20th century and in education, I think there, be, there came to be a line of thinking that I can compartmentalize my life. I have my spiritual life over here and my religious life, which may not be one and the same, but my, my spiritual religious life, we'll call it the, that, is separate from my professional life, which is separate from my political life, which is separate from my educational life, right? So they've, they've created these walls of separations. We, Americans have in our minds, we've created these walls of separation between what's legal and what's moral, what's spiritual and what's professional, you know, and, and we've divorced our, ourselves from, it's like we split our souls into parts. Right. <laughs> it sounds kind of like Voldemort and Harry Potter, but we, we, we've compartmentalized ourselves and therefore we allow ourselves all of these crazy conclusions and the ancient, the ancient state, the, the, I think even if you go back prior to the 1800s, maybe 1900s, I don't think people were that compartmentalized. I think they were who they were. It's like, okay, well you, you know, you've got guys like, um, so Patrick Henry, you know, give me liberty or give me death. Adams mm-hmm. who said, you know, may your chains rest lightly upon your wrists and history forget that we were ever countrymen. Right. Where, where are those people? I mean, they, the, the ones that pledged their lives in their sacred honor. Ben Franklin. Yeah. Said that in effect, uh, if we don't hang separately, we're all going to hang together. Right. So these, these guys didn't see their lives as work and play and religion and politics. And, that they saw it, they saw it differently. And, and so back in the, you know, back in the days, let's go back to the post Christian, the post early Christian era where you get the Orthodox church that arises. The point I'm trying to make is I want to talk about orthodoxy because the Catholic church had massive influence on Western society for like a thousand years. Still does. Yeah, it still does. And the Roman church, the, the Romans before that had massive influence. The Greeks had a period of influence, but the, the people who had the most lengthy influence were the Egyptians. We don't know much about them. They're so old, but uh, theoretically from roughly the age of Leo, 11,000 BC up through 1,000 BC, they had a fairly congruous society. And these societies were in a way, theocracies. They were they were led by the, their 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 relig- their body politic was a re- a religious body. It wasn't just a secular thing, right? And that, so that idea of the separation of church and state shows up with the American experiment experiment, which isn't bad, but it's caused us to compartmentalize ourselves. And so, therefore, what I'm getting at this is a long 
circuitous route to what I'm about to say here, which is that the new religion in the modern world is the modern media. They are the high priests and priestesses. They get to tell the orthodoxy and they get to tell you when to exercise your spiritual side or your work side or your political side. And they, they essentially are in a way puppeteering the masses to, to behave in an orthodox fashion. And just like the Catholic Church had an orthodoxy where they enforced continuity, rigidity through their control mechanism, which was the church, the media has seems to have been able to create that in the modern era. And I would say that it started in the 1900s with that episode where the robber barons were able to consolidate their power and control by creating a money monopoly with the Federal Reserve Act. We we may have mentioned this last week, but one of the things that happened was the J.P. Morgan Group bought up the 23 most influential newspapers in right. America to create in the public mind the idea that they needed a money solution. And they changed the changed the discussion away from the dangers of a money trust to how important it was to have the government create a money trust, which ended up being a private money trust, federal in name only. When the creator of the New York Times was also part of this group of people, right? Oaks, Ox was his name? I don't know. But but the point is there was an, there's been an orthodoxy forming in America for about 120 years. And orthodoxy is an interesting word. It comes from the Latin orthodoxia, which is a Greek cognate. So it's a Greek word. And it means right opinion or correct opinion, the one right way. And that's what the media is supposed to do is create consensus, unless it's supposed to create division <laughs> to, right. to foment a war. But in general, it's supposed to create this consensus and that is an that is a modern orthodoxy and it very much religious because we can't we can't look at ourselves and say oh i'm a i'm a secular being i know there's plenty of atheists out there but even the atheists i think are right now realizing there's a spiritual component to their lives that's missing and so whether they believe in god or the universe the cosmos whatever the point is we're more than just this this chemical elemental concoction that happened to end up as a, an accident an accident yeah it's it's far it's far greater than that we know that all the scientists know that they just don't want to call it they don't want to say the word god because it makes them sound ancient it makes them sound primitive passe or, primitive yeah or even uneducated. uneducated is the word i was looking for <laughs> so they want to say that but they'll postulate things they're like well you know we could all be living in a computer simulation like they literally will posit those types of things to, to explain our world because it can't just be something that happened. And so they say, you know, this computer simulation idea is a, is a great thing, which means there are people far more advanced than us. And what did they call those in the ancient world? Gods. <laughs> right. But there's these far more advanced scientists than us who have us living in a computer simulation. And, and, and interestingly enough, that idea that this whole world is a simulation is gaining a lot of traction in the educated world because everybody knows there's phenomenon we can't explain, mm-hmm. a, 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 but but then we go and compartmentalize everything. And in one in one facet of your life, it's moral to vote, to take money from, you know, everybody else. Call it taxation, but then you know damn well that if you walk to your neighbor's house and you say, "Hey, I'm going to take your money," that that's immoral. And you know that if you go get your ten closest friends 
even if you go over to that neighbor's house and dem- and say we voted on it to take his money, that's still theft. But what if <laughs> what if that neighbor is rich and the rest of the neighborhood is not? Well, we're getting to the point quickly here in society where what if that idea that you can just go soak the rich or take their money? What if that neighbor has wrong opinions? Jordan? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Then that person should not be allowed to speak or 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 to uh, the verb the verb is agorazo in Greek. In in the ancient state, the agora in Greek means the town center. It's the center of town. It's where all the commerce and the social intercourse occurred. You, if you wanted to connect and philosophize and discuss, you would come to the town center. The town center was built around a sacred point, and the synagogues or the churches or the temples were all erected near, on, or around that center altar. So you'd come to the town center for all of it, for the for that life, for the for the public life, and so to uh, frequent the agora would be to come to the town center. That's the again the, the name for the the town center in Koine Greek, uh, Common Greek. It's an interesting movie that was created about the Library of Alexandria. You know, one of the seven wonders of the world, called Agora. It used to be on. Netflix or Amazon, I can't remember, but it was a great movie. It's about how the early Christians destroyed the, <laughs> set fire to the library for their orthodoxy and chased out all the intellectuals. But the reason I bring up the Agora is because, you know, there's a lot of conjecture right now about the mark of the beast and the vaccine and this, this looming fear amongst, especially Christians and evangelicals, that we're going to be forced to take something which will become the mark of the beast and it will show up in our hand or in our forehead. And, and uh, you know, maybe someday we can break down how wildly out of, uh, out of order people's thoughts are on the book of revelation, because it needs to be taken a lot more abstractly than it's not a timeline for earthly events. Let me just say that, but maybe sometime, sometime we can talk about that, but let's talk about revelation 13, where you get the two beasts and the, uh, the idea that you can't buy or sell without the mark. Well, the verb in Greek to buy or sell is agorazo, meaning frequent the marketplace. And so literally you're, you have this situation where people who are truth seekers, truth tellers, people who are open-minded, people who um, don't want to go along with the orthodoxy are being ostracized from the marketplace, from the agora, by people who... Do they have the mark of the beast when they are ostracizing and cutting people out of the the town center so they can't buy or sell figuratively, agorazo? Mm -hmm. It means not just to buy or sell, but to be able to have free public intercourse in the marketplace. That's the manifestation of what John the Beloved was talking about when he wrote that, to not be able to frequent the marketplace of, of not just things, but ideas. And we're literally seeing that manifest writ large this year and and it's not just happening in media but people are doing it to each other you know they don't want to discuss certain topics they don't want you to bring up that vaccines might not be effective or safe they don't want you to talk about the election problems they don't want you to talk about covid being less risky they they literally will um run and cower metaphorically 
because it's not part of the orthodoxy that they've been taught to believe coming from the mainstream. And that's, this is one of the reasons why I have such a issue with masks. Okay. People will say, what's the big deal? Just wear the mask. It's for 30 minutes in a Walmart or something. Well, of course it's not. It's anywhere in public, you're supposed to be covering your face. And one of the reasons, one of the big objections I have to them, besides the fact that they don't do anything to quote, slow the spread, they don't do anything for that. But I don't, I don't like them because they're of the symbolism of these masks. I don't like people covering their faces and especially their mouths. Because as you've explained, the, the exchange of ideas is the foundation of society, of society, of progress, and a free of, society, of, 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 of a free, open society where we can where we can go out and we can be as baseless as we want to be in our conversations, because that's how ideas get fleshed out. That's how that's how policy is supposed to be made. I don't remember if in the last episode we mentioned our location. We're we're in Utah and we're okay with people knowing that. And recently the current governor of Utah, his name's Gary Herbert. He's been the governor for 12 years. He's retiring. And recently he he set forth an executive order that made it illegal essentially to gather in your homes with friends and family. And he rightfully got some pushback from the state legislature. So the state legislature met with Gary Herbert, Governor Herbert, in a meeting, and it was supposedly quite heated. But we don't know because it was behind closed doors. Now, I'm, and he walked back the policy. Now, that's a good thing he walked it back, but he's still encouraging people not to gather with friends and family. But the question I immediately had, and the question that no reporter seems to ask is why was that meeting behind closed doors? These are supposedly our representatives talking to an elected governor. And they and have first, a, the first reason it was behind closed doors is because they didn't want to wear masks. Well, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that that's, that's true. But shouldn't we, we're, we're the people bearing the brunt of all of this policymaking. Right. We're the people bear, bearing the brunt, the cost. We're, we're shouldering the burden Shouldn't we know uh, who said what in that meeting? Shouldn't we know what our local representative said, if they said anything? How can we hold politicians accountable if we don't know what they do and what they say and what they think? Once you, once you become a, an elected public official, your ideas are no longer your own. You have to, you have to be public. You're a public official. The, 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 the phrase, you know, public servant. They're not servants. They're no. paid. They're very well paid. They're well paid, paid yeah. Uh, the, the idea of service means, means an act uh, of, of something, whether it's labor or whatever, without ex- expectation of, of a return. Right. And now the idea is you go into public service so that you can be lucratively compensated by special interests after you leave or, or, so you're or their during. you're their servant and then you're adequately compensated yeah well or during no public officials especially on the national level leave office poor poor poorer than they did when they entered most of them are orders of magnitude more wealthy so getting back on point we're expected to wear these masks we're expected to not gather and discuss 
and to have interesting conversations, we're expected to close our mouths and to listen only to what we're being told. Follow the science. Listen to the experts. There's a really good photo that I think sums up all of this. I think I've shared it with you. We'll put it on the website. I don't remember where it came from. It was in the it was in a, a newspaper, right? A national newspaper. And it's it's in Times Square. And it's this, I don't know, do- dozens of people in the frame. All of them are looking up at a giant screen. And if any of you have been to Times Square, you know that there's giant television screens all over the place there, usually blaring the news. And everybody's looking at the screen. You can see the blue glow on their faces. And every face in the picture is masked. And they have this trance look on their eyes. Yeah. And behind them, there's a giant digital billboard, which also plaster Times Square. And it's got a picture of Joe Biden and Kamala, Kamala, Kamala. Uh, if you say that, if on, I say it if wrong, you say it wrong, you're in trouble. Vice President-elect Harris. It shows up a, a picture of the pair of them. Vice President-elect, I'm in quotes right now. Quote. Or quotes. And, and underneath it, in big, bold letters, it says, America has decided. Well, that picture was taken on the, the, that Saturday, I think we referenced in our prior episode, when the media declared decided. The media decided that those two were the winners. Right. So all the people had to look up at the screen to see what America had decided. And they're all masked. They're all staring up at the screen. And they're being told very explicitly being told what to believe. And if you dispute that, then you are a a baseless conspiracy theorist. You are uh, against democracy. You're an enemy of the state. And I I saw that photo and I thought, I always thought that these zombie apocalypse shows were stupid. And now I realize you're living through the zombie apocalypse. This is, a, this is an intellectual zombie apocalypse. Yeah. These people, and we see it. We see it in our everyday lives. We see it with family members and friends. People are, are, are refusing to even ask questions, let alone entertain the answers to those questions. Yeah. And I'm not saying we're we're uh, immune to all of this. You and I. Sure. We try to be. We try to. We, we all live it. in the matrix, <laughs> <laughs> right? But so here's this this era of unmasked orthodoxy being forced upon us, maybe in a way more deliberate and and oppressive than ever before. You may not think it, but you have a boot on your neck. In some way or another, we all have boots on our necks right now. Or your head is in the cage and, and the man is telling you that he's going to release a rat that's going to chew out your, <laughs> your brains through your eyeball. That's the end of 1984, if you've all forgotten. Right. And then he says, oh, no, I love Big Brother. <laughs> yeah. I need you. Two plus two is five. It's whatever you want. Two plus, Just, t- two, plus two is five. It was an actual argument being made right now by, by yeah. people supposedly, supposedly smart people. And then I don't know if the people making that argument and, and, and also making the argument that math is a social construct and it's racist. It's racist. I don't know if they realize that two plus two equals five was the way that the oppressive state in 1984 brainwashed people. I don't know if they even understand that or if they're doing it and just laughing because they can. I don't know. 
Well, there's a literally a mental illness going around and uh it's it's quite demoralizing frankly to think about because the power of media is so incredibly strong and they use a wide variety of methods first of all brute force mm-hmm. truth well mark twain would like to say that um a lie can make it halfway across the county before the truth gets up and puts its pants on in the morning which is true but Truth is incredibly powerful and it must be attacked and it has to be censored, pushed back at every point because and truth needs to be told every, or sorry, lies need to be told every day by brute force. They need to be reinforced because when you stop, when you stop lying, telling the lies, then people start to think. And that's why the news programs run constantly. We've got multiple channels on cable that are 24 seven news. And a lot of baby boomers have those on all day. Right. They have to just have the, the, the news going. My, I know my grandpa who wasn't a, a baby boomer, but he's a, he's a world war two veteran. He would watch Fox news all the time. And he switched from being a lifelong Democrat to a Republican. And that was during the Clinton years. But the, there's definitely, you know, once you've retired, there's not a lot to do. So you, you watch the news channels and they've got them. They've got, you know, all day sports channels too. We know, we know there's other material out there. It's almost like pick your poison. The difference though, uh, between something like an all day sports program, sports channel is a lot of those run out of material by the middle of the day because the, the previous night's games have been rehashed. And then they repeat themselves. And the, pre- and the day's games haven't started yet. So they just repeat the program. The difference with the news is you can always create some new thing or some new spin on, mm-hmm. on what's going on. Bring in another guest or another yeah. panel or another expert. But anyway, the, the lies need to be told constantly because the truth can get hold. And once it gets hold in a person, it's hard to turn, turn that back. But uh, there was a Scotsman, I forget his name, that said, He's famous for saying, men go mad in herds, but they come to their senses one at a time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really true. But the herd, it has to be indoctrinated. It's, it has to be vaccinated against the truth repeatedly. <laughs> and that, that, was, um, that was the madness of crowds, the original. Because Doug, Doug, What was his name? I'm trying to look that up. Douglas Murray, who's contemporary, wrote a book. Called the madness of called crowds. the madness of crowds. Yeah. There's another book, I believe, by the same title that was written in the 1800s. That's where your quote comes from, uh-huh. and, I, and I'm trying to look that up. Charles, Charles McKay. Charles McKay. It's worth elaborating a little bit on. Well, let let me point this one thing out because I, I'm sure this has occurred to you, but you know, in Utah, the prevailing religion is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints or the Mormons, as most of you know. And we hope that there are a lot of people that aren't LDS or Mormon that are listening to this because these issues affect us all. And I think Bobby and I would really identify with a wide cross-section of Americans, uh, people who are seeking for truth, open-minded people. So we hope that doesn't turn anybody off. But in March of this year, one of the things that was shut down almost immediately was the Mormon church. And I've told... That was a that was a big deal. And but I've I've brought this up to friends, you know, like lies lies have to be told on Sundays and on Thursdays and Wednesdays. And and one thing that's and they have to be repeated because the truth can take hold uh too easily. And one thing that's significant about the Mormon church is that we not only have activities on Sunday, but we'll have them throughout the week for the youth and for 
the men and the women and the children. And that keeps, keeps the, some sort of continuity amongst the neighborhoods, but it also is an opportunity to continue to repeat the orthodoxy. And I think that this year has been one where the Mormon church by pandering to the globalist agenda and attempting to prove that they're good players in that system, they've created a situation where a lot of their people are waking up to some of the problems. And, and you know, I got to say this, I love Joseph Smith and I love the teachings of eternal progression that he taught, which are dramatically different from what we'd call mainstream Protestantism. So I'm, I'm, I'm revealing my bias here. I believe in the, the divinity of mankind and that we can become far greater than we are here in this earth and we have a journey to take. But I definitely have my disagreements with the orthodoxy and it's kind of interesting because the orthodoxy let itself slip by shutting down for so long because people start to realize, you know, maybe I don't need them. One of the things that's interesting about the Mormon church is you've got to have permission to perform the sacrament, the, the sacrament or the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine or the bread and the water as we do in, in the Mormon church. It, it's supposed to be done under the authority of the, the neighborhood leader, which is the bishop of the ward. And they decided with coronavirus that since we weren't meeting, that everybody, all the men in, the, in their family could perform this sacred ordinance at home. Well, the question is, and I think a lot of men are posing this, and women too, who have enjoyed being at home and having home church and doing their own thing, why can't we do this all the time? And that's a really good question. Why shouldn't we be able to do this all the time? And, the, and so that question, I think, is being posed in 25%, maybe 35% of the Mormon households out there. And we'll see what comes of it, because right now the church is trying to get people to come back to church. And, but there's still the specter of the virus, so if you don't go, it's okay, because you might be not want to risk it. You brought up uh, the Scottish philosopher. His name is Charles McKay. Right. He wrote a book called... Um, Ex extraordinary popular delusions and the madness of crowds. And that was written in, uh, 18, mid 1800s. Right. So it's not recent. It's, but the quote you're, yeah, this isn't to, a problem. This isn't a problem we've, that, that the world has never experienced. Right. And that's why, again, revelation chapter 13 shouldn't be seen as an end times thing. It is something that's always happened right. in the world. And so the, the Agora here, we're talking about the Agora, the town center. Well, where's the town center? Well, it's at your church, you know? And so the, the popular uh, delusions don't just exist outside of your neighborhood. They exist in your neighborhood because they're popular. So keep talking. The, the exact quote is, men, it has been well said, think in herds. It will be seen that they go mad in herds while they only recover their senses slowly one by one. I'd like to think that slowly, one by one, we are recovering our senses from the mass hysteria of this spring of 2020. I, I, I don't know if that's overly optimistic, but I hope and that one by one we're 
recovering our right. senses. Well, well, it's been said, and I, I don't like the terms conservative and liberal. I don't think they're appropriate. I consider myself a classical liberal and don't want to have anything to do with the modern statist liberals or the modern statist conservatives. But it's been said that a liberal is just a conservative who hasn't been mugged yet. And there's a massive mugging going on right now. It's a heist. It's affecting people at different times and in different places. And they're hopefully coming to their senses because of that mugging. But it's not, you know, there, it may not be a, a singular event. It might, you know, one guy loses his business, another guy loses a family member. Um, but there's still a significant number of people who are saying, Losing a business is worth it. Losing, losing your business is a small price to pay to keep us safe, to slow the spread. Right, but that, the problem with that is that the, the significant, those significant people have a disproportionate voice in the propaganda media. Right. And so therefore their, their voice is heard louder because they have not been excluded from the Agora. They, they are the ones who are allowed to buy and sell or to frequent the, the Agora, to agorazo, while these people who are losing their voice are being ostracized just f- simply for having run a small business. The people who are allowed to buy and sell are the ones pushing for lockdowns and further restrictions because the burden, they aren't shouldering this burden. You have a class of people sort of, uh, I've seen them called the stay at home class now, the work from home class, which a lot of people belong to, a lot of good, honest people belong to. But as you said, the ones pushing all of this, let's imagine for a moment that this virus is deadly, is extremely deadly, as they say. Okay, it's your it's your fantasy. Go okay. ahead. Okay, it's not my fantasy. I'm putting us in the minds of <laughs> of the people pushing all of this. For example, the right. Utah State epidemiologist. Her name? Should we say her name? Yes, her name. She's a public official. Her name is Angela Dunn. She has been uh, from the beginning very uh, much stay home, wear masks, social distance, slow the spread, slow the spread, slow the spread, always slow the spread. It's all it's all she knows. Well, she, she likes to talk about the chic delivery services that she uses to get to order in food to her house. Right. What, what kind of a premium do you pay to get those kind of services? You, you pay, you, 20%? You, you 30, pay extra, 30%? Depending on you the, tip the guy? Right. How much does she make per year? She made in 2019 $255,000. For doing what? I don't know. Because no one ever heard of her before she became a COVID celebrity. Because it's like she's part of an assembly line or a, or a conveyor belt, uh, some sort of a economies of scale system where she just gets the the word from her upline and then just distributes it. Well, I don't think there's anything going on there meriting $255,000 a year. Dr. Burks, who who is kind of Fauci's counterpart. Oh, yeah, she, and she, she's the one that was recently found to be hypocritical, running around traveling, telling right, everyone else to not. With her family. Yeah. She came there's to, a long list of those. She came to Utah in August, September, and gave some secret codes. To... Did they do the secret handshakes and <laughs> and uh, Dunn knelt down at Burks's feet and <laughs> she might ki- kissed the papal ring and all that? She met with Herbert and, and Dunn, and there's been very little uh, about what that meeting was about. Dem- demonstrated uh, loyalty to the orthodoxy. Right. But anyway, Dr. Dunn. Doctor in air quotes. She she has been very adamant about that, about all of the COVID orthodoxy while at the same time, you know, ordering in expensive food, 
Well, if the virus is deadly, as she believes, she's willing to have this underclass put their lives at risk so that they can continue to provide her with the comforts that she deserves, remote that she service. believes she deserves, whether it's remote food delivery or uh, the making sure that the internet still works at her house, making sure that the internet is full of entertainment for her and her kids, making sure that her home is heated, making sure that the gas, the gas stations are full of gas. All of these things that we, you know, that there's farmers still growing food, all of these things that we sort mm -hmm. of don't think about that keep our society running. Those, those are the people that are shouldering the burden of these lockdown social isolation policies while the stay-at-home class can simply get on their phones, tap a few buttons, and a half hour later have a meal at, arrive at their door, and they feel good about that because they're, quote, be, you know, they're, they're slowing the spread. Right, and then they virtue signal it on Twitter or well, she on gave, Facebook. She gave a, a TED Talk. One of these sort of fake TED, these, these TED has the TEDx branding where it's a smaller. So it's people that aren't that famous. She, yeah, right. She you gave, only make 255000 a year and you're from a small state. So TEDx for I, you. I recently suffered through her TED talk. While you're a glutton for punishment. And it was, it was terrible. It was terrible in its presentation. And, and I'll excuse that. She's a doctor. Well, she's no, no, not a presenter. Let's, let's be clear. Probably the only reason that she has the job she has is because she's been good at the orthodoxy. And she knew somebody and got into that position. But she goes on to, t to talk about how racism is fueling the, the COVID pandemic. Oh. She's one of, she's one of these uh, critical she's race a, theorists. Okay. And, and, well, that and, might also be why she got that position. It would be an interesting... Uh, I would like to know because she 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 clearly um, she clearly has different political views than her boss, who who as we laughed about in our previous episode claims to be a conservative Republican. You're talking about Gary Herbert. Gary, Gary Herbert, <laughs> the incoming governor, the lieutenant governor Spencer Cox claims also to be a conservative Republican, but he's very much a technocrat. He's very much a lever puller. He likes to push buttons, turn right. knobs. I think when you when you think of these people, you definitely need to, th and this goes for all the governors. Um, well, not all of them, but you know the ones I'm talking about. Think of a sock puppet with their face on it and a hand coming right up there and actuating the mouth. That's what you have right there. And what are the what is what is the hand in the sock doing? It's it's spouting the orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. It's spouting the approved, correct. There was literally at one point Gary Herbert called himself Available Jones. And for the uninformed, that was a cartoon character that would do anything for what, a burger or money. or. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Bobby, as part of this discussion, we need to talk about the virtue signaling. We just mentioned how this stay-at-home class will order out and then they will talk about it like Angela Dunn does. She's promoting this idea that look how good I am. I'm ordering out and now I'm retweeting people who talk about how they've gone to extraordinary steps to go along with my orthodox behavior. And they, they do what we'd call virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is really interesting. It's very, very important. It's an idea that hit the scene along with social media. I don't think we realized what it was or had a term for it specifically until social media. But it goes it's something that has 
plagued humanity for all time. And I'm, I'm thinking back to some of these Bible videos I've seen done on the widow's might, where there'll be a man standing in the synagogue throwing one piece after another in one piece of silver after another into the metal bin so that everybody can hear every time a coin hits and people will look and see he's throwing money into the collection bin for the, for the priests. And then the widow comes in and she throws in her two mites and that's it. Uh, Meanwhile, this guy continues to look around and throw in bits of money, maybe for an hour. I don't know, just to prove how righteous he is. Well, that's, that's a, in the new Testament, Christ, Christ himself, he condemned the virtue signalers of those days, the people who pray in public and who, who boast and who yeah. wear the fine apparel. And Right. So I'm sure you can go back and think back to your understanding of history and, and what you know and your experience in your life prior to social media, prior to the 2010s-ish, you know, this last decade. If, if, if we were to write the history of the last decade, we'd have to factor heavily into it the influence of social media. And it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. One of the, again, the main activities on social media is virtue signaling. And so you go out and you say, look at me, look at how good I am. And not only that, but you you signal not only your actions, but your thoughts and how in line you are with the orthodoxy. And that creates more strength or more momentum for the orthodoxy. And so that's one of the reasons that, we are in the predicament we're in, it's because of the quote-unquote Twitter mob, this virtue-signaling entity that sort of has a life of its own and goes off attempting to demonstrate who is the best and brightest follower of the orthodoxy. Not only that, but it's gone from demonstrating who is the best, but, but then to condemning those who are not who don't measure up. Right. Even if you are trying to measure up, there was, during the George Floyd uh, fiasco of, what, May, June this year, well, there was a celebrity, I don't remember, it was some Hollywood starlet. Or, the, she, or football players. She put... Who apologized. She, she changed her avatar. This is one way they virtue signals. Oh, okay. They change their avatar as if that does anything. Right. But she changed it to a black square. Which showed she she approved and of and supported Black she, Lives and Matter. She got she got a whole bunch of of pushback and criticism because it she didn't do it fast enough or didn't do it on all of her accounts or some for some reason. Her signal there was not was not virtuous enough. Right. Yeah. You, you had these football players. I think Drew Brees was one of them who would make statements that were not bad. They were just demonstrating that he he supported standing for the national anthem. Yeah. And he gets attacked, and therefore he apologizes, but his apology isn't good enough. Right. The apology wasn't, right. wasn't good enough. So this, this is a demonstration of peer pressure in the modern world. And we've, we were taught, all of you guys were taught in schools as kids. If you, if you grew up, I think, any time prior to, if, if you were in school prior to the year 2000, maybe t- 2005, weren't we taught that peer pressure was bad and that taking drugs was bad and that right. your peers would try to pressure you into stuff like that? Right, but it, peer, peer pressure doesn't go away when you're an adult. Peer pressure is alive and well in the adult world, and always has been. It fuels the uh, mass masking of of our culture right it now. Fuels, Again, I, I, fuels the orthodoxy. <laughs> bring it back to the mask, but it's such a 
perfect symbol of, of the problems in our culture right now. Mm -hmm. It totally fuels the orthodoxy. And the, the orthodoxy does not, it, it, it had to evolve from something and it, and it continually evolves and changes. And so the last thing, at least that I want to talk about, well, for, for, there's two things, I guess we, we need to talk about education, the educational establishment, because that's sort of the, the seed ground for how you should behave. W what are you taught in elementary school? You know, there's a lot of, a lot rules. of, right. You're taught rules. There's a lot of homeschoolers who take a lot of crap because their kids are not well, quote, socialized. And I've heard pushback from these homeschoolers lately saying, you know, well, one of the reasons I don't send my kid to school cause I, is because I don't want to, to get them socialized. Well, I guess we got to reverse that and, and realize that if you're a homeschooler, you'll, you'll, you'll get these moms who will say, oh, it's so great that you homeschool, but I send my kids to school for the social aspect. And right. now, now, the, now the moms are pushing back and saying, well, the reason I'm not sending my kid to school is because of the social aspect. I don't want them socialized. And that's a, that's a really important thing to realize. And that doesn't that, mean they don't have friends. Right. right. It doesn't mean that right. I don't want, I want my kid to live in backward isolation and not understand how to communicate with people like the stereotype. But it is getting worse and worse and worse where if you don't go along with the mainstream, you do get isolated and sure. you have to find different friends. To but a homeschool parent isn't endorsing that stereotype. No, no. And, and I, I... Homeschool kids can be super smart, you know? They just it's got a bad reputation because they're different. Well, they just don't go to school the same way everybody else does. They the, still participate in almost all the same activities. They, they have don't, the same but interests. they don't, yeah, but they, they're unpredictable. They're, they might do things for different reasons. And well, because so, they haven't been programmed. They haven't been programmed. Quite, well, quite as heavily. Right. So you go to school and as in elementary school, you know, they, the things that you learn can be learned in a couple of hours a day, but yet you're there for eight hours during the day. And most of what's being taught is how to, how to conform to social pressures and peer pressure. And you, you get in line, you sit down, you only talk when you're, when you're allowed to, you can only express yourself at recess, but you can only express yourself in certain ways. So you'll have the, the pecking order and the uh, social order that's imposed by the kids. And then when you go inside, you've got this social order and rules that are imposed by the, by the teachers. And let's not forget that the curriculums are largely pushed down from tax exempt foundations. The, the people that print the textbooks and buy the textbooks do so based on pressure from administration. Well, it's, it's the administration that's buying them, but the, the teachers really don't have much of a say. Mm -hmm. They have some say, or they, they used to have more say. Even, even districts don't have a lot of say yeah, anymore. They, they then, they then receive, a, they receive a lot of this material from higher up from people who are attending conferences where the, the theories and ideas of people like John Dewey and the socialists of the early, of the progressive era of the early 20th century where those people are promoting their ideas. And so you get a revisionist history being taught. We haven't had true history taught in America since maybe the 1950s. Mm -hmm. Changed to social studies. Right. You know, and civics and stuff like that. We've never had in the last 120 years any sort of history taught about the Federal Reserve Bank and the history of money. In fact, let, let's be clear. 
public education didn't evolve until the 1900s, till the, till the 20th century, after the progressive era. And the idea of getting a free public education for all it comes straight out of the Communist Manifesto. It's one of the planks of Marx's manifesto. He says, first, we've got to win the battle of democracy, which is the point we're at here in America, where they've taken over the mechanism of government via mob rule. And then, you know, you do certain things, take control of certain industries, but especially you take control of public education. And that happened 100 years ago. And slowly, the messages are rolled out in a, in a generational way. Things are changed to morph the country into a herd of people that is more manageable for the oligarchy. And so it, it starts, this, this destruction of the mind starts in the schools. And there are plenty of people, who bright people who come out of it, but in general it creates a situation where people are more controllable. And as a final thought on the, on the schools, the point is that one of the main things that you do in a school is you're taught where to look for truth. Who are the authorized speakers of truth? They very clearly promote certain channels, certain lines of thought as authorized and others as baseless conspiracy theories. Heretics. Heretics. Heresies, yeah. Right. Just like the church had heresies. They, They promote an orthodoxy and then you have lists of heresies and the kids become enamored with ideas like man-made global warming, social justice, let's say. Gender binary. Gender studies, yeah. These types of things are inculcated in the schools. The the, the mid-level managers, the teachers, are not always aware of it. They're often products of it. But the administrators at the highest levels are very clearly aware of what messages they want to be pushing down. And now it's not just that those messages are being taught, but that those who... Those who don't accept the messaging are ostracized. Are ostracized, given bad grades, uh, told to sit in the corner. And even in the in in the, in the case of even professors like um, Brett Weinstein. Right now we're getting to higher education. Who taught at Evergreen College and didn't buy into the to the to the gender nonsense. He was literally ran, ran out. He and his wife were ran out of that college where they were popular. They were well-liked. They had done a good job. They were both professors there. And the president of the university endorsed the mob, and they ran them out. If you're interested in that, look look up Brett. He's an interesting, uh, articulate person. He has a podcast with his, he has, and then his brother Eric is also, they're, they're an interesting duo if you want to, you probably already know about them. Well, up until recently, the colleges, I think, we viewed as, more bastions of possibility because the 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 K through 12 schools are getting all their money from the state so therefore they promote the agenda of the state very clearly all right and the state until recently has tried to maintain more of an air of neutrality relative to corporations or or gender or race things like that it's 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 up until very recently, let's say the last 20 years, it, I think, came across as neutral and therefore trustworthy in a way. But we have to be clear that for the last 120 years, 
the people who have provided the financing for the public schools are the ones that got to decide what was taught. And that's why the robber barons, the oligarchy moved the, those foundations and those, those influential people moved so dramatically to enforce public education upon the masses. Well, they control information, education. Uh, now we understand they also control medication. Right. So the so the the colleges were supposed to be more of this free form, uh, free market type of a place where we could exchange all kinds of ideas, and the professors they have different standards for who they hire as professors. There's there's a wider variety of of disciplines being examined and they've always been thought of as these areas where you can voice any any, any opinion, opinion in fact any opinion why wouldn't you especially yeah. if you're in 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 something remotely scientific or evidence-based why right. wouldn't and, you posit new hypotheses yeah and and the state was not supposed to have any interference in that because it's all you know you you pay your own money to go there you you pay to go there and therefore you know, caveat empor, buyer beware, right? It's just, it was supposed to be freeform, but they, they, got, they got infiltrated the same way as the rest of the education establishment and, and have become sort of a hammer now. It's like the, the public schools are one thing, but the, the universities are now like this hammer where any, any, any of the free-thinking cockroaches that escaped out of the public education system with the wrong ideas need to be squashed. Right. It's, it's bizarre. And, and they call themselves open-minded. <laughs> well, the final thing we need to talk about is neuro-linguistic programming because we brought up the term earlier, baseless or unsubstantiated. Right. And neuro-linguistic programming is, is interesting. It's an, it's pretty much, uh, it, a field that has a lot to do with marketing. And if you look at other languages, I think Spanish, you know, is one of these where the word propaganda doesn't have a negative connotation. That's that's their term for marketing. Mm-hmm. It's promotion, pro- propagation. And that's, in America, it has a, a negative connotation, I think because of discussions about Nazi propaganda that came through the public school systems as we discussed those things. But we have to recognize we're getting this marketing, this propaganda. And so in marketing, it's not just about the words used. The words are super important, but it's about the feeling, right? You have to have smiling, happy people. And you need to have slogans like stay home, stay safe. Or in the blackmail case of the state of Utah, stay safe, stay open. Right, that's a How they're using businesses to, to buy into their... To their right. Uh, policies. Right. So you, you you narrow it down to a few words that everybody can hear, and then you, you use the the imagery from the linguistics, and then of course the visual imagery to program the public mind. Twenty twenty has been a, a jingoist's dream year. It, there's so many of these slogans that are mm-hmm. name, car- name a few. Wearing is caring. Stay stay safe. Stay home. We're all in this together. One of the most significant things we're seeing relative to the neurolinguistic programming is this idea that conspiracy theory is not good enough. See, conspiracy theory in itself 
is a term that evolved out of the JFK assassination because it was so clear once people started looking into it that it wasn't a lone gunman, that the official story didn't hold water. So therefore they had to convene the Warren Commission to figure it out, and then they, the Warren Commission decided that the bullet made a U-turn inside his head and it was a lone gunman, and you know the magic bullet idea. And then after that, there have been multiple congressional resu- resolutions to relook at and review the JFK material because it's so obviously not a, a lone gunman. Well, that brings us to the term conspiracy because conspiracy, roughly defined, is simply one or more, or sorry, two or more people. So it can't be one, can't be a lone gunman. It has to be two or more people working in concert to achieve an end that is not desirable or is Ill- illegal or criminal or whatever. So conspiracy just involves multiple people. And it was clear after JFK was assassinated that it was a conspiracy. And so therefore the, the control mechanisms, the powers that be branded anyone talking about or branded these these lines of thought as conspiracy theories. Right. The CIA is kind of famously credited with coining that term. Yeah, I think that's in the in Freedom of Information requests. And it's like you can find materials. I don't have that off the top of my head, but they came they came up with this term, conspiracy theory, to make you realize or to to make the public think that Anything involving two or, two or more people was just a theory, not a fact. Yeah, they, they came up with the term as a, degra- a derogatory term, a, de- a way to discredit the people who were questioning the Warren report. Right. So now I have to, have to do a little educational uh, soapbox for my kids or any of their friends who will come in and talk about, oh, yeah, I, that's uh, one of the crazy conspiracy theories conspiracy theories I like is related to some YouTuber and how they're going into outer space or, you know, it's something just totally outlandish. Now the, now the term conspiracy theory amongst the up and coming generations just means crazy. Yeah. Nutty. It literally nutty, means crazy. crazy stuff. Yeah. I don't know how I've had a few people, you know, on social media when tell me that my, my tinfoil hat must be too tight and things mm-hmm. like that. And I'm not even out on there talking about conspiracy right. theories in the traditional sense that you're talking right. about. Right? Theories are supposed to be like well-respected, like the theory of general relativity, Darwin's right. theory of evolution on the right. nature of man. I mean, if you well, proposed uh, a theory, you, you were inviting people to look at your evidence and help you get closer to the truth. Every scientific truth that we accept is, is in most cases still based on theories, theories that have mostly been thought and proven to be Mm -hmm. true or at least consistent, but they're still theories. There's still things that we could learn about all of these things that would render certain theories either wrong or more right. Like nothing is settled. Nothing is, science is never settled. That's another. Well, now it is in 2020, it's settled because we just changed everything (laughs) to the new truth. Science is now is, is the new religion. But yeah, but, but what you're saying is totally accurate that theories dominate the scientific reality. And maybe we should change our terminology to, instead of talking about conspiracy theory, we should talk about conspiracy hypothesis. Sure. But what's but that? Even is that going to make people think? Even if something is, is outlandish, so what? You know, the, you know, Twitter, Twitter is, is 
Twitter is warning people who click on certain links that the website that they are going to could be unsafe. Now, in and you would know this with your internet background. Usually, if you're if you get a warning like that, it means you're going to a website that it's may have destroy your computer. It's like got a virus, a virus or nefarious uh, uh, files or something there that could harm your computer. Yeah, that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about that the information on that website is unsafe. Now, what kind of information is unsafe? Right. Well, and what it, we all know what it means. It just means that the information on that link is unorthodox or it's a heresy. It's unapproved by the mainstream. And a lot of the, I think a lot of people are figuring that out, but unfortunately not as fast as we would hope because, you know, we'd like to see a mass discarding of the mask wearing and the propaganda. You would like to see some open, far more open discussion, but which you would think would manifest, say, at your church or at your neighborhood grocery store if everybody all of a sudden just decided, hey, let's not wear the masks. We, we, we reject your neurolinguistic images of happy people and grandmothers on Zoom versus in person. Right. Or There's a particularly nefarious ad that Walmart's produced where they simultaneously uh, promote the idea that a Zoom Christmas is just as good as a regular Christmas. And they show exactly what you described, happy grandparents and grandkids on Zoom with tablets and computers, while at the same time promoting in-person shopping. Come to Walmart and get all the things you need for your virtual Christmas. Right. Okay, there's a disconnect there because I went to I went to a, one of these big box stores. I went to a Target just yesterday. Okay, it's just a few days before Christmas, right? Did we mention the date? Today's December 22nd. I think so. Okay. I went to Target and the place was wall to wall packed. Just elbow to elbow, shopping cart against shopping cart. Everyone getting their last minute Christmas shopping done. It was it was hammered. Which is which is great. That's awesome. But they were all wearing masks. They were right? all wearing masks. And meanwhile, the little mom and pop barbecue down the road has to operate at fifty percent capacity. And has to block off right. some of their tables. What, one of my very favorite memes that I saw was a picture of a man on a beach in California being a, accompanied by two sheriff's officers off of the beach with his surfboard. And there's nobody on the beach. And the caption says, sir, why aren't you at Walmart? Come with us. Right. And we've seen there's been there's been. Uh, well, dur- during during all of this you know, since the spring, companies like Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Amazon have enjoyed massive growth while smaller, smaller mom and pop shops have, many haven't survived. Many are gone forever. But why, why has it happened? Again, it comes back to the orthodoxy and the programming and the words that are being used. We've been convinced, we've been, we've been convinced that going to dinner at a, at a barbecue place with four, four tables or 10 tables is dangerous, but going to Target three days before Christmas with, I don't know, three or 400 other people is not dangerous. Even in the very beginning, I was, I was kind of shaking my head when we supposedly had these lockdowns, right? And here in, here in Utah, the lockdown wasn't quite as strict as other places, but still we were 
we were pulled out of our offices, we were pulled out of our churches, we were pulled out of sports and school, and yet we were still going to Walmart, still going to Costco, still people would pick up a box of cereal, look at it, put it back. All of these incongruities are happening and people aren't letting themselves see these and ask themselves, why am I accepting the contradictions? Why am I accepting that last week the WHO said this, the WHO, this week they said this? The, the WHO said in June, asymptomatic spread is very rare. That was the quote, very rare. Two days later, they said, never mind, we were wrong because that is an unorthodox view. And they accidentally spilled the beans. They, they accidentally told the truth. Numerous studies are showing that asymptomatic spread is, is very, very rare. rare. Very rare. And we all know that. We all know that instinctively because never in the history of our lives have we said, have we called our boss up and said, boss, I can't come in today. I'm feeling fine. <laughs> but I might be sick. But I was around somebody who had to have a test. Right. It's never happened. And so that or the 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 entire scam rests on two things. One, that asymptomatic spread is real, and two, that these tests are accurate. Oh, and that COVID is dangerous. Right. And and to to bring it back to to today's kind of theme, we've all accepted these things that have never been true before because of the programming, because of the language. Right. Because of the you mentioned earlier that lies have to be repeated over and over. The media, the news media covered nothing but COVID for about eight straight weeks from mid-March to into mid-May into June until the, basically until the George Floyd incident. It was COVID death, COVID death, COVID death, COVID, COVID, COVID. Mm -hmm. It was, it was remarkable. And and, and they came out with slogans, right? Anytime you hear a slogan, you got to hang on to your wallet, uh, watch out for the people coming to take your freedom. Flatten the curve. Mm -hmm. Flatten the curve, flatten the curve, slow the spread, flatten the curve. What happens when you flatten something? It goes longer and wider. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. Tear the bandaid off now. Don't, t- don't pull it off slowly. Have we ever used the term social distance, flatten the curve, stay home, stay safe. We're all in this together. Have that, has that, has that ever occurred in any pandemic ever? You know, a lot of people talk about 1918 and, oh, yeah, they did the same stuff in 1918. No, No, they they didn't. didn't. No, they didn't. They lived their lives and a lot more people died. In the United States. Besides that, it was different. In the the United States, you had almost 700,000 deaths in a population nowhere near where we're at today. Worldwide, 50 million people died. Right, and a lot of people, uh, this is an interesting rabbit hole to go down, which we shouldn't go down right now, but a lot of folks attribute those deaths to the fact that they were just barely starting to vaccinate people at large, and they had vaccinated a ton of people and and pumped these soldiers uh, in the World War I with a bunch of chemicals, Mm -hmm. and that those guys came back, because it was 1918, Right after the war, these, you had these soldiers coming home. Not only had they been exposed to all these vaccinations that they were experimenting with, but they'd been exposed to like... Um, chemical warfare. Chemical warfare, yeah. What, what was it? It was... Agent, or- Agent, or- Agent it's Orange. It's not Agent Orange. Or mustard called, gas. Mustard or- gas was the one, yeah. Agent Orange was Vietnam, I yeah. think, where that... But mustard yeah. gas, I think, was a World War like I. Like they were literally... These poor guys in World War I, man, they were, they were getting hit with all kinds of experimental stuff. And so they all came back... Sp- 
and the whatever they were carrying plus their dis, disabled immune systems plus perhaps the spanish flu um, well the the average the, the one of the main reasons that the spanish flu was so so devastating was because young people couldn't resist it for some reason whether it was the strain of the flu or some other reason but the average age of death was 28 yeah the average age of death for covid is 79 or something 72 I thought it was 85 it's it's well over the 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 life expectancy yeah anyway like you said that's a different kind of rabbit hole but but my point is in real time history is being rewritten and we're we're being told that we we've always masked the general public we've right if always we were use, socially distanced if we've we were always gonna, locked down if we were going to use uh 1984 terminology we would say that uh, 2020 is the year of the ministry of truth. We've always been at war with East Asia. Yeah. And they, they, they're able to accomplish this via very subtle neuro-linguistic programming via brute force. And because the people have been sufficiently conditioned prior to this point, one thing we didn't talk about was the 28 or so movies that had been produced in the last 20 years warning us about pandemics. Whereas prior to that, you had like one or two movies in the last 40 years from 1960 to 19 or to 2000 that were widely known Sure, that talk about pandemic. But once the, once the plan was set, then there've been a lot of movies produced about it. There's been widespread reporting on any epidemic anywhere in the world, like the first SARS outbreak or the Zika stuff or the, the swine flu, they, like they've been itching for or trying to seed the public mind with this idea that there's going to be a pandemic and it's going to be bad and we're going to have to do something about it. That's, that's because prior to them doing this, people would never put up with government intervention. I mean, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that in 1957 and 1968, there were flu epidemics, Asian flu epidemics that killed roughly 120,000 and 100,000 people respectively. If you realize that we had half the population, then right. that translates to You about, always have to look at those numbers yeah, based on about, the population. 200, 250,000 people and 200,000 people. And that's without the perverse incentives to, to modify the reporting stats, Right. Right. So they were arguably just as bad as this year, but they barely merited a mention in the New York Times, like in the newspaper, you find it on page three or whatever, that it's a bad flu year. And that's because of this concept called the Overton window. Mm -hmm. uh, Overton window is a political concept where it's a, of course, named for a guy named Overton who came up with it, but it's a, a range of ideas that the public is willing to accept. And if if an idea is not in the Overton window, then politicians can't and bureaucrats can't achieve their goals because the public's not willing to accept them. So this, so arguably, we have the same conditions that we had in 1957 and 1968. But the Overton window was moved, and so the Overton window had to be carefully moved. And how was that done? Again, by seeding the public mind via this neurolinguistic imagery and programming over the last 20 years to make them worried about a pandemic and, and talking about the idea that they need to, they're going to have to deal with a different way of life if there is a pandemic. And then, of course, 
the World Health Organization changed the definition of pandemic so that it didn't really have anything to do with death or how serious a disease is. It had to do with how communicable it is. So they every year you could call the cold a, a pandemic, and and they're right now changing the definition of herd immunity. So just you, yesterday, as part of the neuro linguistic programming, you get this redefining of terms or a defining of terms, a labels, so that they can stick that on something and then declare a state of emergency and get their perverse, in, uh, or they can get their money via these perverse incentives. Yeah, the who has eliminated the natural part of herd, immu- herd immunity. Herd immunity, I've, I've, been, I've seen people call herd immunity a terrible policy or a terrible idea. It, which is laughable because it happens herd, every herd year. immunity is not a policy or an idea. It's an inevitability. It's a natural process that we yeah. we all benefit from every, every year. year. Yeah, every when the year flu makes it runs its course. When the cold runs its course, we it runs its course because enough people get it that it can't spread anymore. And the WHO is now saying that herd immunity is achieved only through vaccination, whereas before they said it can occur naturally through the spread of infection and vaccination well they've eliminated the natural part of it in order to push this this uh, universal vaccine vaccination plan right so that idea will have to be spread far and wide and and uh tucker carlson did a really good episode a couple of days ago on how strange it was that they were spending so much time and money marketing these vaccines like he he was like something's wrong here he, he was unwilling to say vaccines are dangerous or they're not necessarily safe or effective. He, want, he was always very, he, he pandered directly to the idea that we all believe in vaccines. But then he goes on to say, but look, what are they, why do they have to market it? Why are they having to convince people? Convince people? The, reason, the reason that, um, vaccines have not been mandated is because in the past they have been ineffective and dangerous. And so therefore governments, he, he quoted a court case, but I think we'll probably post a link to this on our website to Tucker's presentation. But there was a case where a man was forced to be vaccinated and had his whole family was forced to be vaccinated. And his, he was upset because one of his children had died due to an, an adverse reaction and this to, was like in the 1920s 30s wasn't it yeah this is way back and so this was sort of the precedent that no we're not going to force you to take vaccines it's incumbent upon those who who manufacture these to to demonstrate that they're safe and effective and to fully inform the public and that's another thing in the medical industry that has gotten a lot of uh traction in the last 10 or 20 years 30 years is this idea of informed consent. They want you to sign away your rights all the time. And, and they, they're forced to show you the vaccine insert. And some women, when they're taking their children in for their visits, will read that and argue, well, I don't want to vaccinate the child because of look at all this. And then they'll say, well, no, that's contrary to what it says here on the paper. They are safe and effective. But if you've seen any, ignore the paper. Ignore the paper. Sign it. But this, this is it's this strange, bizarre, uh, contradictory reality we're living in. Because like, if you watch, you know, mainstream television, which I haven't seen in a lot. It's funny we were on a trip recently, and 
we we watch television in these hotel rooms because they have cable. It's amazing the type of neurolinguistic programming that's going on. It is. Uh, for example, now I'm on a tangent, but I was watching some football and basketball. Do you know how they're they're simulating the crowd noises? Right. Well, why would they do that? Right. Why would they do that? It's called peer pressure. It's to make you think that there's actually a game going on that people are interested in. We mentioned Dr. Dunn's virtual TED Talk. She gave that in September of 2020. Did they have a laugh track? <laughs> they should have. <laughs> but as she walked out on stage... There was nobody there. There was cheers and whistles as if there was a... A crowd? A great enthusiasm for her. There was nobody there. Yeah. It's fake. The place I was going with this is that watching mainstream television, we get to see the advertisements and you get reminded about drug commercials and they'll give you some drug, you know, and tell you how great it is. And then they'll tell you side effects include death, dismemberment, destruction by fire. Uh, you could be hit by an oncoming semi-truck. Half, I mean, half the ad is uh, warnings. Yeah. And they have to do that. But it's strange because yeah, they're, they're programming us and you've got these happy people, that very happy. I mean, a picture is worth a thousand words, and so therefore a movie is worth a bazillion words. And your brain is being taught every moment of the day, every everything you look at, everything you do. And the programming is very intentional and very, very intense. And it's called programming. Television programming is called programming for a reason. It's not because... That's just what you call a half an hour of television, right? And coming from a, of a from a production background, nothing nothing is accidental. The, everything you see in a frame is designed. Every bit of music was deliberately chosen. Even even news programming these are very highly produced. The stuff they put on the walls in a in a set, right? You can go to a live, a live feed of a reporter uh, reporting on something. They're going to put. They're going to choose very deliberately where that shot is. They want you to know that in the background is a blizzard or a windstorm or a flood or some kind of disaster or a or a fiery but mostly peaceful mm -hmm. protest. Or, or if you're reading an article on a news website and and the photo says file photo, right? It could have been dramatically different. File photo just means. This photo is not a picture of the actual event that we're talking about. And right, they use it, that a it, lot. But it could have been dramatically different. Like we're talking about, it could have been 180 degrees different. Well, there's there's the famous uh, episode of Anderson Cooper reporting on one of these hurricanes. And the shot shows him like in chest deep water. Well, a wider shot that got leaked shows that the water all around him is ankle deep. And he's but jumped he, in the he water. He found a ditch or a hole or something and climbed in there to make it look like That's the typical. entire area was completely flooded. And they were in trouble. They'd waited out that right. far. As if these reporters, uh, there's another one where laughable. a guy is fighting against the wind to make it look like he can barely stand. Yeah, and then a couple of guys walk Some through. Walk by the shot as like as if nothing's happening because nothing is happening. Yeah. And they, they have yeah. to, they have to. And a lot of people just accept that as, oh, they're just being dramatic. They're just trying to get clicks and views. Well, sure. But they're also controlling your mind right. to, to make you believe that things are worse than they are. We like to talk about how we like to say that America is so divided. America is so divided. I don't think America is divided 
nearly, nearly as bad as the news media type tries to say. They say, but but look at the election. Mm-hmm. 50, it was 50-50. Well, of course, you only have two choices. Right. When you only have two choices, it's going to always split 50-50 or yeah. thereabouts. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. But I do think that the statist viewpoint is a magnet for certain people and they become quite divided against the rest of the people. Oh, oh sure. Like, like, the, like if, you're, if you're watching, the, if you're assimilating all of this information and being programmed, you would have a tendency to become violent towards people who don't have your point of view because that's what they're teaching you the to ru- do. The ruling class, so to speak, have, they despise the regular people. We talked about that earlier, earlier. The way they're willing to let the working class shoulder the risk and the burden so that they can live safe and sound, you know, hiding from this virus. Yeah. They, you know, it was Hillary Clinton, you know, famous, the deplorables. famously referred to us as deplorables. Yeah. But Barack Obama made that uh, the offhand remark about they cling to their guns and their Bibles. These, mm-hmm. these, these ruling people, they do not, they do not care for you. It's not just Democrats. It's the Republicans too. They do not care about any of us. They, honestly, I think they think we're a bunch of uh, useless eaters that gobble up the resources of the earth, that overpopulate the earth, that are ruining the environment, that are ruining their their global vision. This is what the the WF is actively saying with their video that you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Well, the rest of that video talks about climate change, about healthier populations, about all yeah. these things that sound really great until you understand what they really mean is that we're going to control you. We're going to depopulate you until we get to a number that we're happy with. We're going to continue the eugenics movement and we're going to get rid of people who have wrong think, who are physically different, who uh, have different colored skin. We're going to get rid of the mentally mentally impaired, whatever that means. They Mm -hmm. can define that. This is all nefarious stuff and it's all being pumped into into our daily lives. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right. Which is why it's, I think, I think you, t- you talked about last week, we talked about things that we can do to kind of stem this. I mentioned taking off the mask. You talked about meeting and, and having these conversations with like-minded people. I think we could add to that, turn, turn off the news. Yeah, or admit, well, um, my point was d- expose the censorship. Right. And yeah, I think you can turn the news off, but you can also identify it uh, if, if you're, you, you really should turn it off to see what kind of an effect it has on you. I mean, that is a big, big deal when you realize without the news media, there is no pandemic Yeah, right now. Right. Because there are no deaths. There, a pandemic. I've, I've said this before, a dangerous pandemic doesn't need billboards on I-15. It doesn't need a test email campaigns. It doesn't need a test. It doesn't need pictures of the wise men uh, you know, the social distancing, the crash, the uh, nativity, nativity, wise men wearing masks and social distancing, which, which is what we're getting here in Utah, by the way, which is a absolutely repulsive. It's very offensive. Abuse of the nativity. Of but the, they're doing it to an audience who they think will be receptive right. because Utah is a religious population. Right. And it's ex- it's extremely offensive and it's and it's a, an, an utter abuse of the state power and the state money and our our money that they're using to propagandize us. Yeah. But yeah, turn turn all that crap off because without it, you realize that none of this, none of what we're being told, 
is actually matches up with what's happening in reality. Right. Identify the programming, and when you find it, tell other people. You know, you you might have to turn it off to to realize what's going on, how how intensely it's occurring. I mean, we stopped watching network television about. 11 years at my 11 years ago at my house and it was funny because we would turn it back on at certain points in time like when Barack Obama uh was reelected let's see it was funny that we, we we started to turn it off right after the Barack Obama election because some of the reporting and some of the advertisements for commemorative coins and other things were like bad b-roll post-apocalyptic movies we were like this is like something out of a bad movie and I do things like watch an NBA game with the sound off. It's, that's something you can do is you can watch television with the sound off and you'll be like, what, what is going on here? This is, this is interesting. But when you, when you turn it back on, you'll realize this is very fake. This looks very fake, very, very fake, far more fake than I had previously thought, even if you're attuned to this stuff. You know, the news media has their, their, their template of, the host of the show on one side of the screen and the guest on the other, right? Split mm-hmm. screen. And then down at the bottom are all the, the subliminal the slogans, the neuro and neurolinguistics. It's fun to watch one of these exchanges with the sound on, but then you turn the sound off and watch the host, right? The Don Lemon or whoever it is and their facial expressions. And they, they sit there and they bob their head or they shake their head. Like it's, it's, it's their, their, agenda comes yeah. through through their body yeah. language and it's really you don't notice it as much when you're just listening because you're listening to some guy rant about something and you get mad about that or you cheer for that because it's yeah you know it's there are two minutes of hate which is now 24 hours seven 24 days, hours of hate you know it's just <laughs> permanent hate yeah. and uh but yeah well, it's to, a it's a little known fact that n- news programming is produced for an eighth grade intellect level well that's because that's what they believe we are all capable of thinking that's what that's the the level of 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 education that that they think we all think at right it gets very dumbed down and it has to be dumbed down to be promoted in that brute force repetitive way well, it's, so, de- it's to, designed to, get, to it, well it's it's designed to be a virus to to be to infect the masses to spread and, you know, one of the terms we brought up that's a, it is a neurolinguistic ter- programming term, that is herd immunity. And they do view us as a herd. I think they do want to cull the herd in a way that I, you mentioned they think we're useless and brain dead. No, I think that they, I think they look at us as, as a resource to be exploited. Like they're, they look at most people, but if you show any glimmer of light, you're either going to be hammered down or brought into the a special corral where you can be exploited and those people need need to be particularly given particular attention because uh they can be influential and there are two points i want to bring up i don't want to forget one the first one i want to talk about is the Rhodes scholarship program that is a great example of how who was Rhodes? right cecil Rhodes. That that's a discussion for another day. We'll get into the roundtable groups and and uh, Rhodesia and Cecil Rhodes, the De Beers Diamond Monopoly, and and his uh, the influence that he still exerts today through various means or those th- those people exert. But uh, it's a little known fact that Bill Clinton was a Rhodes Scholar, 
And it's a little known fact that there were secretive forces who instigated the Rhodes Scholarship Program in order to take the best and brightest and take them under their wing and program them or, or mold them into operatives that would promote their agendas. And there even came a point in time where people in the Canadian State Department and in the American State Department got wise and they're like, we don't want any more Rhodes Scholars. And this is in the 50s and 60s, you know, the McCarthy era. It's like, we don't want any more Rhodes Scholars in our organization. But by then the damage had been done. It was too late. And so I think that being a Rhodes Scholar doesn't automatically make you nefarious, but that was the intent of the program was to identify those types and flatter them with awards and money and get, and get them to come along to your your point of view. And the problem is that not everybody goes along with it. So who gets culled? Who gets removed from the herd? Well, we've seen this happen in the 20th century. It was the episodes of the great cleansings in Stalinist Russia and Maoist China. Unfortunately, if if we allow, if if the what we'll call mainstream conservative America if the Christian Americans, the main, whether you're Christian or not, conservative Americans, those who believe in individual rights, if we allow the, the statist, leftist, fascist, communist, whatever you want to call them, it's funny that they're fascists, you know, the Antifa types, they're supporting a fascist agenda. It's the most, one of the craziest things. If we allow them to take total control then the next step is literally thought crimes are punishable by death, which is what happened under Stalin and under Mao. And fortunately in America, we have a thing called the uh, Second Amendment. We have this ethos of firearms ownership. And there are some parts of the country where that would be very difficult to, to remove that. And so, you know, don't give up your guns at any cost. And if you live in one of these countries or one of one of these places in in the country, one of these states where your rights are not protected, you may really really want to consider moving along with all the other people who have moved because they they recognized that the state they lived in was not conducive to individual freedom. If you're going to do that, if you're, don't bring your ideas that ruined your state. To a state that's not ruined yet. <laughs> wake up, wake up to individual rights. I saw a uh, satire headline the other day. It said that Texas has issued a stay-at-home order for California. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But a lot of high-profile people are moving from California to Texas. Like Joe Rogan, uh, Elon Musk is moving Tesla to, to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been others that aren't aren't just moving their personal residence, but they're actually taking their company mm-hmm. and moving to a different state. That's going to have a devastating effect on the economy right. that they're leaving. When when uh, uh, somebody that employs thousands of people mm-hmm. leaves, well, those thousands of people aren't probably aren't going to follow. Some might. But they also, those thousands of people spend their money in that economy, and so therefore they affect thousands and thousands of other people. But if, uh, you know, if you have a situation where you have freedom and in certain areas of the country, parts, uh, they, lock, they lock down freedom and people try to move, you're going to have exit controls, capital controls. You're going to have them try to erect barriers against this. So right now is a time where we're, we're sort of on the cusp and it would be a good time to make moves if you can. 
There was the cat's kind of out of the bag. There was a dress rehearsal of that in the spring with uh, COVID lockdowns where people couldn't leave their states. Even uh, I, I use that phrase even here in Utah because we're traditionally a pretty freedom loving state and that's rapidly changing. But for a time, her Governor Herbert locked down our state where people coming in or out had to stop at checkpoints. Any final thoughts here on media mind control, neurolinguistic programming, baseless conspiracy theories? Every, every shred of truth that we know of, whether it's scientific truth, religious truth, social truth, all started as baseless conspiracy theories. At some point, somebody had to say, things are not what you think. Galileo had to say, I don't think the sun is revolving around us. Right. And he had the, some basis for that. Well, the, the point, we're, when we say the word baseless, we're saying that in air quotes. The point, <laughs> right. is, the point is that at every point in time when the truth has been exposed, there's some man behind the curtain saying, don't look at the man behind the curtain. Pay no sure. attention to the man behind the curtain. And I think in that, in that sense, be very, very skepti- skeptical of the official, the official story, okay? Whether that's 9-11 or JFK or COVID whether that's a national story or a local story. Be very skeptical about what the news media is publishing and what the government is endorsing when it comes to narrative and facts, and especially when it comes to science, when it comes to social and economic truths and ideas, because they've never been right. They've always been on the side. I say that they, the news and the government in, in combination have never been on the side of freedom, ever. And you look at 2020, everything they've told us is wrong about coronavirus. Everything they've told us and everything they've ordered us all to do is wrong. If somebody, if, if I had a job and I was wrong on every single thing that I was asked to do, I would lose that job. How many of these state epidemiologists are going to lose their job? How many governors are going to be recalled? How many are going to have to face uh, an inquiry, a a court? Men go mad in herds, but they come to their senses one at a time. Hopefully this uh, mind virus that we're trying to put out there will help other people come to their senses. We really need to be more bold appropriately and make our opinions known to people who are in the orthodoxy as appropriately as possible. I'm not trying to tell people to go out and be contentious, but if you're just going along with this, hoping it's going to pass, I hate to tell you this, it is not going to pass. It's the world is changing. Nothing that's happening is okay. You may not be shouldering the burden. You may not have your business uh, in distress right now, but other people do. And eventually, this is going to catch up to all of us in one way or another. So it's not okay. It's not okay at all. And we need to call that out. We need to try to hold the people responsible, accountable. I don't know how to do that, honestly. I think that's going to be difficult with the mass media, but if, if enough people... If, if enough people are willing to change their mind and vocalize it to their local representatives, I think that they can have some effect. 
problem is the bad guys have significant control over the bureaucracies and they will continue to foist crises upon us in order to achieve their great reset or the ends that whatever their ends are. I've postulated that one of the, one of the outcomes that they would like to see is a, is the United States broken up into regions and a supranational military and a supranational monetary force. That's a, that's a discussion for another time, but the, the things that are happening are going to be that dramatic. It, all the nations of the world have fallen except for the ones that haven't fallen yet. People thought the Soviet Union would never fall. All the fiat currencies of the world have been devalued and destroyed, except for the ones that haven't yet. Wake up, and then wake up again, and arise. Wake up and arise. Stand up in, a, in an appropriate way. Speak out in an appropriate way. Make sure that you're not going to go quietly into the night. And have a Merry Christmas. Like, comment, subscribe. Okay. And don't do anything that would upset the orthodox. Wait, no, <laughs> never mind. Sorry, I slipped back into my right, programming. Right. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Mindvirus.show. Happy holidays. Bye.